genre. Doctor's Companion presents Doctor Who, The Long Way Round, the weekly podcast where we review and discuss every episode of Doctor Who, one doctor at a time. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. And I'm Nick Jimenez. And today on the show, we are discussing the Claws of Axos, the third Doctor's seventh story. Uh, the Claws of Axos uh, comes to us from the Bristol Boys. Uh, <laughs> this uh, this would be uh, Bob Baker and Dave Martin, uh, oh. known known around the BBC as the Bristol Boys, and uh, this is their first story. It will not be their last, unfortunately. No. Yeah. Um, so uh, 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 Bob Baker and Dave Martin, they had they basically like held like a variety of jobs before getting into writing for television in the late sixties. Uh, Baker, <laughs> Baker <laughs> was worked in animation, um, and then the uh, the pair tried to uh, get interest in uh, their material by the BBC. Uh, they started writing uh, plays for uh, things like um, uh, you know, like te- teleplays for uh, various shows, and eventually developed a sitcom called A Man's Life. Uh, and uh, that script ended up on the desk of uh, script editor Terrence Dix, and uh, they decided that Baker and Martin uh, should be allowed to submit an idea for Doctor Who. So uh, originally, they submitted a story called The Gift, and this was going to feature Patrick Troughton's uh, then-current second Doctor, uh, it involved evil aliens who landed in Hyde Park in a skull-shaped sh- spacecraft and featured spaceship battles and even a giant carrot crashing into the park. Okay. Uh, the, the gift was uh, scaled back to six installments by the time the script for episode one was commissioned on December 1st, 1969. Now, you might say to yourself, December 1st, 1969, why did it take so long to get made? Well... <laughs> By the time it was commissioned, they'd already changed uh, doctors. So now John Pertwee was the new doctor. And uh, they so they like had to do a rewrite. However, episode one, the script for episode one, was not submitted to the production office, commissioned December 1st, 1969, not uh, submitted to the production office until April 6th, 1970, uh, more than three months past the original delivery date of January 2nd. Uh, and because, uh, white dudes can only fail upwards, uh, <laughs> they still got to keep their job. Um, uh, and the worst, part, boys. the worst part is they've turned this in and Barry Letts is like, uh, the producer Barry Letts is like, this script sucks. Um, it's a jumble of ideas and, uh, doesn't really uh, come together into anything that resembles like an actual story. 
So <laughs> this sucks. Um, and also, uh, the, 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 the pair seem to overestimate what could be accomplished on a limited Doctor Who budget. Uh, you know, what with the spaceship battles and uh, the, the giant school spaceship that crash li- lands in the, in, in the, in the park. Um, so, Whoa. Uh, uh, so, okay, so after taking things over, um, you know, with, with, uh, with Dix, um, Baker and Martin received a commission for a revised version of the storyline, uh, which is now called the vastly superior title, The Friendly Invasion. Um, so they're writing, the I, want, fr- I, want, they're, I want like the, I want like the paperback novel to be the friendly invasion, but then the cover is the skull spaceship careening towards <laughs> earth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they wrote a new version of the script, uh, and they turned it in. And once again, uh, producer Barry Letts and Terrence Dix both felt that the friendly invasion was too full of, uh, disparate ideas. And, uh, therefore Letts was like, can you just, can you just write it, Dick? Can you just come on, Terrence? Go, you just write it. So Terrence Dix uh, joins forces with Baker and Martin and basically rewrites their whole story um, because the script is so bad. Uh, however, <laughs> um, they uh, they were just to add insult to injury. Uh, they were asked to add the master into the storyline because now this episode would not be part of the first season, but in fact the second season, uh, two years after the initial green light on the script. Um, the, uh, 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 they were like, they're like, yeah, you're going to need to add the master to it. Um, both of them were very upset by this because they did not feel the master fit well into the established plot <laughs> plot. Uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, they threw a fit about it and, uh, basically, uh, let's, uh, yeah, Terrence Dix ended up having to, uh, write the master into the story himself. Um, uh, and yet it, this did not stop them from hiring them in the future this is like a nightmare like these guys should not be should not have worked in production at all like this should have been the death nail on their careers and yet uh they just kept working and kept being uh uh poor to uh adequate and i don't understand the power of white people um anyway (laughs) Um, so I hear, anyway. I hear, I hear everything. I hear everything that you said, but <laughs> to play, to play devil's advocate for a second, according to the TARDIS wiki, Baker and Martin did create K9. Uh, yes, they do. Uh, I mean, we'll get there, but I don't know if it was necessarily their idea or if they just happened to write the script with K9's first appearance in it. And then, sure. therefore, like just like you know, took credit for creating it. That's true. I, I'm not sure. sure. I'm not entirely yeah. sure. Barry Letts could um, have seen like a dog crawling up a wall. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. Po- I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> who knows um, who the idea was? So uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, okay. So this. So then the the story then changed again. Um, the title was now going to be the Vampire from Space. Um, <laughs> Yet again, a superior yeah. title. Yeah, uh, for sure. And then they're like, actually, let's let's go ahead. Let's not do the vampires from space. Let's not do the friendly invasion. Instead, let's just call it the axons 
which is like the most boring version of the title. And then yeah. at the last minute, they changed it to The Claws of Axos. What about um, The Friendly Vampire in Space? That would have been the best. Oh, man. I, I, but I want that. I want that to be a a, a Jody Whitaker story. So, the friendly vampire. It's, uh, guys, I, real quick, I listened to the uh, Jody Whitaker episode of the David Tennant podcast, and oh. it was. I would actually, I would, I would recommend it specifically to Whovians. Oh, okay. I was, I was not. I was, I was like, oh, like, oh, they'll talk about like acting school or working on Broadchurch, but they like got in the weeds about specifically Jody Whitaker talking about making third, uh, making that season, and like Chibnall's intentions and stuff and i just i thought it was super illuminating and so i actually i wanted to make a point to talk about it on the show for like two seconds that's okay, really cool. yeah, fair enough that sounds great yeah. um anyway. okay so then <laughs> now back to the good part yeah back back to this so finally they have scripts that they can actually produce and they do uh when eventually they got to the um the uh, location work for the story uh there was uh some crazy weather happening um, very variable weather where they shot over five days and um, the beginning of the week there was snow, then fog, then sunshine on the final day. Uh, and so rather than shoot around the weather to explain the inconsistency, Terrence Dix assigned new dialogue uh, to Corporal Bell, who noted that the Axos's arrival had prompted freak weather conditions. And then they just... They just wiped their hands and was like, okay, well, we did it. (laughs) We got it done. Um, So uh, that's why the weather changes uh, so much throughout the, uh, throughout the story. Um, But uh, anyway, I mean, that's pretty much it. Uh, I will say that the director, Michael Ferguson, this would be his last of his four directorial outings. um, His previous of which was the absolute stone cold classic of uh of uh ambassadors of death so ah. he directed the ambassadors of death and then have i seen that one this happened yeah we watched it yeah okay. watched it uh there was, was a, a season one uh pertwee episode okay um, i think it was like his yes. third or third or fourth one at for like total yeah. it was like the one with the um with the astronaut guys with the skull faces okay yeah yeah anyway ambassador of death real good and uh, that was the last thing he directed before the Claws of Axos, which was so bad that he decided not to ever direct Doctor Who again. Um, and who can blame him? Um, <laughs> I will say, uh, you know, overall, like the Claws of Axos, it's not as bad as I remember it being. Um, it's not as boring. It, had, it does have some interesting ideas um, in it, I think. And we'll, we'll get through it. Uh, as we as we go, and I'll explain the stuff that I do like in this. Um, but overall, it's just such a nothing story, and like the design of the Axos people is so stupid and like it's just like gold, and they don't have <laughs> eyes because they just have like goop over their eyes, like eye covers I, that are supposed I to be usually, eyes. I usually am able to like suspend disbelief on on these episodes but i couldn't help every time i saw any of the accents i couldn't help but think about those poor actors like yeah. hanging out on set for like hours and hours and like yeah. sitting on chairs yeah not being able to see yeah because they're just they 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 put these like gold balls balls like on spheres. their face i don't know terrible anyway um all right let's let's get into it 
The Claws of Access, Part 1. Written by Bob Baker and Dave Martin, a.k.a. The Bristol Boys. Directed by Michael Ferguson. Produced by Barry Letts. Air date, March 13th, 1971. A greasy tube-like living spacecraft careens towards Earth and is picked up by unit radars. Back at unit home base, Mr. Chin is interviewing the brigadier for a committee inquiry he's leading about unit and the doctor's very special relationship when the doctor himself arrives. Meanwhile, Joe meets a man named Bill from America who's looking for the master. Joe introduces Bill to the doctor as he gives Mr. Chin the business. Suddenly, Yates informs the brigadier that a UFO is now 500 miles away from reaching Earth. Chin tells the Ministry about the impending UFO landing, and they order Unit to be linked with a missile strike force to destroy the object. The doctor thinks this is dumb, and he tells the brigadier so. On the southeast coast, where the object is expected to land, snow and other strange weather starts to occur. The UFO lands near a power complex, and Chin fears that the aliens are after the UK's precious power supply. Unit forces arrive at the southeast coast to meet the UFO. Chin puts himself in charge of the operation and sends Bill away. While this is happening, tendrils emerge from the ship and pull in a capering vagrant who happened to be riding his junkyard bicycle around nearby. Inside the ship, the vagrant's mind and body are scanned and studied by an unseen intelligence. Bill notices the vagrant's bike and discovers the ship, only to be pulled inside himself. Once inside, he finds the master trapped on board the ship. Golden figures emerge and explain their situation to the Doctor and Unit. They're from the planet Axos, and their entire ship was grown from a single cell. In exchange for allowing them to stay on Earth, the Gold Men will give the humans a powerful element called Axodite. To prove its value, the Gold Men use the Axodite to make a frog much bigger than it should be. While Joe explores the ship, she finds Bill, but also finds a weird noodle monster. So uh, episode one uh, starts with this opening of like the Axos ship uh, sort of like like coming toward Earth. And it's like it was very much reminded me of the opening of Mars Attacks. Um, sure. With like just like Earth in the distance and then like <laughs> coming for it. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was a lot. And I was like, why? It hey, looks I- like a very greasy space potato. The ship. Does. It yeah, does. it they re, they accomplished in the worst way possible communicating that the ship is living tissue. That yeah. this is like organic matter cuz yeah, it looks like a sloppy weird like sausage in space. Yeah, it's, it's, like, just, me- it's like melting. Yeah, it's like it's like somebody's organ is just like floating Ew. through space. Yeah. Um <laughs> it's real gross. Uh and then we meet, uh, I think he's a homeless guy on a bicycle. He's got a theme song, and it's pretty oh, great. Oh, the Vagrant. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the theme song was great. I'm, I, I, if I die first, I want that to be playing as they lower my coffin. <laughs> There's just, like, four scenes off the bat of this Vagrant, like, finding trash and, like, riding on a bike around a junkyard with yeah. this, like, this whimsical, like, recorder music playing. Yeah, and and he doesn't have any dialogue. He's just going, blah. <laughs> like, like Nick Jr. kind of finds a bike and he's like <laughs> I think it says something about this story that this is the most memorable part of it like for me oh, yeah. 
I love the vagrant. And he was immediately murdered mm-hmm. with no witnesses. We, w- yeah. all the audience, we, the audience, were the for- forced to bear witness to this vagrant getting murdered by this living spaceship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's pretty rough. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, he like, he basically, he steals a bike and he finds, um, he, he finds the, the ship in the park and he like approaches it and then a thing comes out of it and like pulls him in. He's really upset about it. Um, yeah. So (laughs) anyway, uh, I just, I like how it's like, the, the point of the story, it seems to me is like, they're trying to like convince us that the axons are good. You know, sure. like that they're that they're good guys. Like that's what they're that's what they're like coming down and saying that they are. But like, mm-hmm. if the very first thing you do is kill a vagrant, maybe the seventies were a different time, and they're like, oh well, good, they are on our side. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Decrease the surplus population. Oh no. But yeah, like because like the beginning of this episode, the doctor is positioned in. It kind of uh, it, it reminded me a lot of the. Uh, the one that we're about to see with the Sladine or the 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 Eleventh Doctor adventure coming up, the Salarians, Salarians, yes, where the Doctor is like, oh, you you warmongering humans, like, oh, you're gonna shoot first, ask, ask questions later, Brigadier, but like, we're very quickly shown that these are not well-meaning aliens, so it kind of takes the teeth out of whatever mm-hmm. moral conflict the story tries to generate. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, we meet Mr. Chin, the head of a committee inquiry into unit and, uh, reading a very believable top secret folder. Yes. That's my favorite part of the episode. (laughs) It's so good. I, there, there's this, there's this thing in this story that like, I feel like if they had just really like dug into this idea, I think that this story could have been like better. But there's this idea mm-hmm. of like Mr. Chin, like the idea of of men in power who are like making stuff roll downhill, you know, like like the idea of like he's got a boss who tells him that it's not going to be my head on the chopping block. It's going to be yours if something goes wrong. And then Mr. Chin later tells someone else below him, it's not going to be my head on the chopping block. It's going to be yours. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's something that could have been interesting to say about that, especially in the 70s. But sure, the kind of like no one wanting to take responsibility for this crisis that's looming. Yeah, well, and just and just like that being a thing, like with with men in power of like they they wiggle out of taking responsibility um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. They, by blaming someone underneath them, you know. And I, I feel like there could have been something really interesting to do with that thematically in this story but like they just make it a weird like emotional thread in like the first and maybe in the second episode and then they just kind of drop it yeah it kind of reminded me of like a roland emmerich movie how like in like movies like godzilla there's always like one skeptical government guy that whose job it is is just be flustered the whole time yeah and i thought mr chin was a really entertaining character and it was, but it, I don't know. It got kind of like goofy at parts as well. Yeah, he definitely did. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, so so he meets the doctor. Obviously, he doesn't like him because people of authority never like the doctor because the doctor doesn't respect people of authority. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he he <laughs> the doctor definitely seems to be the kind of person where. Like it, it's different. It's different. Like depending on the situation, because like sometimes the doctor is very much the type of person that is like a, a like no one no one earns my respect. I respect everyone. All you can do is lose my respect because he's like very much like a humanist kind of mm-hmm. person. And then in other cases like this, they're just like like you. No one gets my respect. You have to earn it. And yeah. It's like <laughs> yeah. You could literally divide the doctors into those two camps. I think. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, the the first, third, and sixth doctor are definitely in the "you have to earn my respect" camp. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, like the everyone's other ones are a little. I yeah, would say Capaldi's in that camp too. Yeah, Capaldi probably is in that camp. You're right. Like, like first season Capaldi. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, he got he got more benign towards the end when he would be like, "Everyone's an idiot, but it's okay. Like we're all here together." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 10 and 13 true. definitely like respects everyone until like they act a fool. Yeah. 9 is a little tricky. I think I think he tries really hard to be a humanist but he struggles with it. Mhm. Because people are so stupid. About, <laughs> my favorite thing about 9 is he would kind of let it happen if someone like I'm in charge he'd be like, "Okay, let's see how this plays out for a little bit." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's a little bit of an agent of chaos. Yeah. He's like, like he didn't cool. have as much of an ego. Yeah, he's like, it's cool. I just got out of a war. Like, I, I can fix whatever happens. I just want to see how this is going to go down. <laughs> yeah. Play on. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Let's see, you idiots. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, I really like the Brigadier sticking up for the Doctor in front of Chin. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do like that. Um, you know, they're buddies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the Doctor hates this guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> Really hates this guy. And then there's an alarm that goes off about a UFO. And they're like, it's a legitimate UFO. And, and Chen, who's just been being like, this this unit thing. Like, why, why do we even have this? This is so stupid. Uh, you're stupid. Everyone here is stupid. We should be spending our money elsewhere. And uh, and then there's like a legitimate UFO. And it, like, honestly, if I'm Chen, I'm like, did you guys just like set this up? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Because it's like it's so perfectly timed for him to be there, and they're like, "Oh, it's a real UFO," and he's like, "What?" what? <laughs> <laughs> it's, I just I like that. I don't know. Um, anyway, so the UFO uh, they get they get the word that the UFO is uh, landing, um, and uh, this whole like the tramp stuff that we were talking about, um, the vagrant. Uh, this is like we get like little scenes of him doing stuff. Um, and we just keep cutting back and forth between this, uh, like, Chin getting angry at the Brigadier and Unit, and then the Tramp, like, finding a bike, and then <laughs> Chin meeting the Doctor and not liking him, and then he's, like, riding his bike through the snowy landscape. <laughs> it's the <clears throat> best. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, um, yeah, so the, the, uh, the thing lands, and that's when it takes the, the Tramp guy. And, R.I.P. Tramp um, guy. <clears throat> the tramp guy. <clears throat> Not to be confused. Sorry, excuse me. Not to be confused with the tramp. Um, sure. You know. That would be crazy <laughs> if the accident murdered him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, 
I, I think I think I think Doctor Who would have just gotten canceled. I think if oh that had God. happened. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> you just cut to Lady, and she's got like a plate of spaghetti waiting for her oh, husband to no. come home. <laughs> oh, that's funny. See, I was thinking of Charlie Chaplin. Oh. <laughs> Oh, wasn't no. even wasn't even thinking about the <sighs> dog. <laughs> that's funny. I always forget that that's his name. Is it's the tramp? <laughs> I was just thinking weird. of yeah. I was thinking of the titular tramp. <laughs> it's like the Rock. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so they, they go, um, oh, we meet, uh, uh, George Hardiman, um, and, uh, let's see, isn't there a, uh, there's like an American dude, the right? American, Is that George? Yeah, with a bad accent. Um, Bill something? Bill. Oh, yeah. Right. I like Bill. I thought Bill died like four times in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was he great. He definitely did. He definitely did. Um, this is also the episode right where um where they where they find the guy it's the tramp that they find right and they like they like investigate him and then his head caves in and everyone's just like well I guess, think uh, so yeah yeah where his head just like literally just his face caves in and no one reacts to it like someone's face just caved in. <laughs> They just stand up and it's like, oh, well, that's a hmm. little odd. They're men of unit. They're hardened badasses. They've oh seen a couple God. faces cave in. <laughs> Jeez. His face caves in. Anyway, that's really hardcore. The ship. Yeah, it is. For, it really is. For 1971. Yeah, for sure. Um, they go, So they go in and then there's like some trippy mind probes that happen. Uh, like very, very trippy stuff. And then Joe shows up, even though they told her to stay behind. And uh, she shows up and she just like walks past the unit soldiers and walks into the ship and no one stops her. (laughs) To be fair, the unit soldiers are on easy mode, like pretty much this whole episode. Yeah, I just I was like, no one's going to stop her from going in the ship. Like she's not even being sneaky about it. She was sneaky walking up to it. And then, like, just walks past the unit soldiers. They're all just, like, waiting for the doctor and, and a brigadier and chin and stuff to come out of the ship, mm-hmm. come back out. And, and she just walks right past him and walks into the ship. And, like, no one says anything. Uh, and I also, I love the moment where um, after, like, the trippy uh, uh, mind probe, like the doctor gets like mind probed and he's like, it's like this like crazy music and sound effects. And he's like holding his head in agony and he's like screaming and then it stops. And the brigadier goes, you're right, doctor. And he goes, yes, I suppose. And I'm like, Jesus, <laughs> man. React to something. I know. <laughs> Man's face caves in. You don't say anything. You get mind probed and it looks like agony and you don't say anything. Come on. Anyway, they meet the axons, uh, and the axons are like, "We bring a gift, axonite." And, <laughs> That's right, uh, axonite. Yeah, <laughs> axonite. Um, and I guess the axonite makes things bigger. Uh, and they're like, "Oh, we could use that to to make cows bigger and have more meat. No one will ever go hungry again." I assume this is where the connection to the giant carrot was. 
um, in the previous draft. <laughs> sure. I, I assume uh, that the Axonite made the carrot giant yeah. and then they fell out of the ship. That was a pretty disquieting idea. That, that was like, hey, let's make a cow big so we can live off of it for like months. Yeah. I mean, that's – that was like the idea of like, oh, like there, no one will go hungry again. But then like Chin, of course, is like, but we'll have the exclusivity to it. So that means we'll be able to charge anybody, anybody, anything for what they want. So like the idea was just like they were going to get this Axonite, this amazing thing that would have solved world hunger. And Chin was going to covet it and like keep it. And so that Britain could become a world power again, like a major world power again. Jurassic and, like, Park, baby. Oh God, the worst! It's the worst. You put it, you put it on capitalism. Oh, guy's the worst. Um. Anyway, for free, it wouldn't even cost anything to do this. What a nightmare. Um, <laughs> this guy. Anyway, that's the thing. Is like, see, this is what I'm talking about. Like, there's a lot of like, like this is like some cool ideas <laughs> here that they could have really played with, and they just do nothing with it. They just throw it all away. They don't, oh, they yeah. don't dig into any of these ideas. They just present them and they're like, yeah. Anyway, so this thing over <laughs> here now. <laughs> you're like, God, come on. Stick with something. I don't know. Um, yeah. Uh, there's uh, we, we meet the master. He's, he's been captive. Captured by the, by the Axons. I guess he was like the first person to find them or something. Um, and he got I really like that. I, I really like the idea of much like how the doctor is always in and out of adventures. We just find the master in media res almost like kind of Thor Ragnarok, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I yeah. got captured. It doesn't, doesn't matter how I'm here. Yeah. They're probably wondering how I got here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, someone said Axonite. <laughs> to make I cows like, Axonite. He's <laughs> like, Axonite, I could get an even bigger TARDIS. <laughs> It's bigger on the inside. I don't know why you need that. Um, he just wants a bigger TARDIS than his doctor, I think. Yeah. That seems on brand for him. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so then there's a veiny monster, and that's how it ends. Yep. Yep. Quote of the script. <laughs> veiny monster, and that's how it ends. Fade to black. <laughs> the uh, cliffhangers in this are not great. Oh, no, they're not good. They're not good at all. Bad cliffhangers. But, you know, uh, it's a messy story. So there's that. (laughs) The Claws of Axos, Part 2. Written by Bob Baker and Dave Martin, a.k.a. The Bristol Boys, a.k.a. Bobby B. and his DMs. Directed by Michael Ferguson. Produced by Barry Letts. Air date, March 20th, 1971. Joe tells everyone what she's seen, but the Axonites, the people, not the element, say she must be hallucinating. Bill is sent away to the replication center while it's revealed the Master is working with the Axonites to get his TARDIS back. Chin and the Ministry plan on Axonite, the element, not the people, becoming the country's next great export. But the Brigadier thinks this is dumb and tells Chin so. He leads them all out of the ship at gunpoint, but is met by an army and placed under arrest. The Axonite tell the Master they must circle Earth for 72 hours in order to drain the planet of its nutrients. Bill has been replicated, and the Axonites send this copy out to find the Doctor and bring him back to the ship. Both the Master and the real Bill break out of the ship. The duplicate Bill attacks the Doctor back at the lab. 
The real Bill arrives and pushes his copy into Unit's light accelerator machine and is turned into bubbles. The Master seals the Doctor's TARDIS and puts it on a truck. The Doctor tries to tell the Army about the Axonites, but is confined to the lab, so he decides to start messing with the light accelerator. The real Bill rescues Joe and the Brigadier, and they start looking for the Doctor, who is still messing with the light accelerator, when another scientist tries to stop him and is accidentally turned into Bubbles himself. The Doctor realizes that the Axonite, the people, the element, and the ship are all one big organism, just as more noodle monsters appear in the lab. So two, uh, again, we get another instance of it's your head on the block, not mine, um, which is, uh, again, could be a really interesting thing, but nope, <clears throat> we don't do anything with it. Um, I do like, so like the American guy, he's captured with the master and I love that they're like, yeah, we're trapped. And he's like, well, if you could shoot that thing, we could get out of here. And he's like, oh, no problem. Of course I have a gun. I'm an American. Yeah. <laughs> and he just pulls out a gun and shoots the thing and they get out of there. Yeah. Fair uh, enough. Yeah. Um, I really like the, uh, the, the, the droopy, the soft-spoken droopy eye stock. Oh, definitely. He was great. Do you guys ever watch Small Soldiers? Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Sure. He looks like the guy, like the the monster yeah. guy. Yeah. Ocula, I think his name was. Ocula. Man, I need to rewatch uh, that movie. Joe Dante. There was a gr- yeah. Gremlins too. There was a there was a great moment where the master is like trying to finagle with the eye stock monster and he asks if he asks for his laser gun. <laughs> and he, I just like that he called, can I have my laser gun? He's like, you do not need your laser gun. Like, I, I wish we still called it that in the show. <laughs> no, he said, he said that with, uh, with the TARDIS. He's like, you, cannot, you, you do not need your TARDIS. He's like, well, can I have my laser gun at least? He's like, that is acceptable. <laughs> you may, yes, you may have your laser gun, of course. You may have your laser gun because we know you will not shoot us because we have your TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> Logic. Yeah, I was like, man, somebody really wrote all that. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's there's no way of knowing who, though. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so, yeah, I do. I like he's just like this. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to like describe it for people. He's like he's like a he's just like this flaccid <laughs> eye stock that just like hangs from the ceiling. And he's just like yeah. kind of like lazily like like just kind of swings up when he's like talking to people. <laughs> I don't know. It's he's somewhat snuffleupagusy in texture. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So speaking of uh, really cool ideas um, that mm-hmm. this story does have, but then does nothing with the reveal in this episode that. That the eye stock, the droopy, flaccid eye stock thing is the only actual being. And that the ship and all of the gold axon people are all just parts of him. That he's sort of like grown and like is they're like they're like uh like fingers, you know, mm-hmm. or like you know, they're just like they're all parts of him. Like claws, if you will. Right. Uh <laughs> I I love that. I think that that's that's a really cool idea. I like that idea, like that reveal of like, oh, the alien was all one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I just feel like 
it's happening too early to be dramatic, and then they do nothing with it. It's like such a cool idea, but it has nothing to do with anything. Yeah, like what this episode is about and what happens are almost two different things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this episode also has uh, near the end – uh, there's a there's a thing that people run away from that's literally just a man in a slimy blanket, and <laughs> I just I just think it's I was like man when when they were worried about uh, uh, Baker and Martin uh, not uh, or just like overestimating uh, the budget restraints of or underestimating the budget restraints of Doctor Who. Uh, they weren't kidding because that is literally just like a guy in a blanket covered in Vaseline. Yeah, um, and you can you can imagine you can almost you can almost imagine what it read in the script because it kind of it, it reminded me of if like an eighth grade theater troupe or like a high school theater group had to do like John Carpenter's The Thing. Totally, yeah. Or it's just like a guy in a suit, and then there's just like gunk and tentacles all over it, just God, like Mister Creepy that- Pasta. I hope that school that did uh, Ridley Scott's Alien as a play does uh, John Carpenter's The Thing next. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that would You've be amazing. You've got to be effing kidding me. <laughs> oh, man. Flame, that would be so like good. A flame, like a flamethrower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a, it's like a flamethrower, but it's like an air. It's like a. It's just like blowing out air like a leaf blower. And then it's got mm-hmm. like, it's like got streamers. Like the, the, yeah, like flame-colored streamers yeah. at the end. <laughs> that would be a, with like a light attached to it, so it's just like like a flashlight. Oh the, uh, man, that the the spider head is just like a, a crash dummy head with like a puppet, like oh, moving like a puppet. Cool. Can we just do this? <laughs> yeah, we've already. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> uh, cast come to California so we can make this. Okay, but I hate that movie. Oh what? <laughs> it's so scary. It's a Oh, okay. it's I pretty. Mean, yeah, it's scary, but we're not going to make it scary. We're going to make it with okay, good with with cardboard and paper clips. <laughs> I'll conquer my fears. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, we'll go viral for sure, you guys. Uh, <laughs> we'll finally go viral, like we've always wanted. <laughs> uh, I had a I had a tweet that wa- went viral once. It was the most terrifying thing that's ever happened to me. Um, <laughs> I never, I never want that feeling again. Yeah, it's why I get so like uh, defensive when like a famous person will be like, "Look at this dumb normal person on Twitter." It's like you don't realize mm-hmm. how vulnerable <laughs> that makes yeah. people on online. Oh my anyway, god, rich, rich people suck. <laughs> yeah. Um. So anyway, uh, what else happens in this, epi- in this does, episode? Does the doc? Okay. Does the master team up with Unit in episode three or four? Four. Four. Okay. This That's is this is episode was... two. We're still on episode two. Anything Damn else it. happen in episode two? I don't think so. That's I don't even know what the about. I don't even know what the cliffhanger is. That's the man in the in the blanket. Oh the, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. In the goopy blanket. <laughs> does does the man He's turn a... into bubbles in this one? Oh, the doppelganger oh. fight, right? There's like a doppelganger fight. Yeah, oh, that's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's that's near the end, and then the doppelganger turns into the guy in the blanket. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I okay. thought he turned into bubbles. Oh, the bubbles turned into the creature. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great story, you guys. 
the bubbles turned into the bl- into the creature, and then the creature turned into a man in a blanket. Obviously, you know what it's part of this that- do you not understand? <laughs> it, it, it's actually really funny that you adopted like a young boy voice because so much of this episode, in good ways and bad ways, reminded me of like boys outside playing pretend and like a quarry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it it's like as a kid you would find like an old junkyard or a quarry and you're like oh this could be a government base and you're the creepy pasta alien and we're the you're the bad guy and we're the army guys because this episode just devolves into like shooting and chasing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's just that's kind of what this what the this whole era reminds me of a lot i always call it like the saturday morning cartoon doctor who oh yeah for sure for sure um i think like, it's a part where right. I've 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 long believed that they should come out with a Doctor Who animated series, like a really nice, like two D animated series. That is, uh, like each week, you, like you don't know if you're going to get like a first Doctor adventure or a second Doctor adventure or whatever. And they're all like, it's all like just really nice animation, and it's like new adventures with like classic Doctors and classic companions mm-hmm. uh, because be like. It just it feels like that would ha- that could happen like it would be it would just fit in really nice in a lot of these eras I think. Yeah, yeah. The third Doctor would definitely, despite being in the seventies, he feels like an eighties cartoon. Yeah, you know, very much. Like so. it feels like Unit should have like like blue lasers and and the Master should have red lasers. And- <laughs> I mean, like the uh, I think the most I think I'm pretty sure this is episode two, but the most entertaining thing to me was the master's like weird jailbreak where he like hopped onto the back of a car. Yeah, that was in this one. Yeah, he uh, uh, yeah he hypnotized like a driver. Mm-hmm. That's good. That happens in this one. Anyway, I don't know. So anyway, there's a man in a blanket. That's, <laughs> that's how it ends. It does. It looks uncomfortable to be in. Uh, it looks, like, looks uncomfortable to be in. Yeah, it looks like it looks like you need to like shower a few times. I don't know. It's not. It's not great. The Claws of Axos, Part Three, written by Bob Baker and Dave Martin, aka the Bristol Boys, aka Bobby B and his DMs, aka Nine Five Nine Mafia. Directed by Michael Ferguson. Produced by Barry Letts. Air date March twenty seventh, nineteen seventy one. The Doctor and Joe are hypnotized by the Axonite and taken back to the ship. Bill is found by Chin and the army and taken to the hospital wing. The Ministry puts the Brigadier back in charge and sends Unit to go find the Doctor and Joe. The Ministry also ordered Chin to organize air transportation for the Axonite for worldwide distribution. The Master arrives at the power complex with the Doctor's TARDIS. The Doctor is tortured and forced to watch Joe age years, maybe even five years, right before his eyes, unless he helps the Axonite drain Earth of its energy. Unit find the Master, but he's able to talk the Brigadier into an uneasy alliance to save the Doctor and the planet. The Doctor escapes from the clutches of the Axonite and frees Joe. The Master prepares to flip a switch that will cause a power surge that will destroy the Axonite, as well as the Doctor and Joe. A risk the Master is willing to take. Does anything happen in this one? <laughs> well, no, there's some good stuff in episode three. Okay. I, you know, I, I do like, <laughs> I, I like, um, 
the brigadier like smugly resisting arrest. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, that's in like this that's one. pretty good. When the guy like tries to come and arrest him, and he's like, "Oh, I think maybe you need to call your superiors because uh, I'm one step ahead of you, kid." <laughs> brigadier and like Lethbridge the bridge Stewart. And like the child, uh, the child soldier is just like a what? The child uh, soldier. <laughs> yeah, like the seventeen-year-old boy soldier. Oh no! Doctor Who and the child soldiers. <laughs> that's that's how I picture it in my mind's eye. I don't know. Sure, um, it's probably not accurate, but that's certainly how the brigadier treats him. You stupid uh, child. You idiot. I am Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart of Unit. I'm the doctor's boyfriend, and I will not be <laughs> talked to like this. Um, uh, I, I do like the master breaking into the doctor's TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Because I like that, like, no one can ever break into the TARDIS except for the master, because the master has the tools required to do something like that because they're from the same planet. Right. Like, I just, I like that little detail of like, no one's going to be able to break into the TARDIS except for another Time Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So almost everything master related in this episode is pretty entertaining. It just feels so disconnected from everything. Right. 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 Like him in the TARDIS and like looking at it and just being like, what a botch up. Like, Yeah, there's like there's like fishnets or like wires or something, and he's just like, "What? No!" <laughs> yeah, he's just he's offended by it. Um, and and then like that, this is when the master learns that the doctor like doesn't have any of the like the the memories, the knowledge of like how to fix the TARDIS has been deleted from his mind by the Time Lords. And so that's why the, the TARDIS is in such disarray. Like, that's why he's having such trouble fixing it, is because he can't remember how. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, this is the episode that fixes that. We, like, get, like, a working TARDIS at the end of this uh, this story, which is the only good thing about this story, I would say, is the TARDIS stuff. TARDIS stuff in this mm-hmm. is pretty good. Yeah, it was surprisingly, like, myth-built, like, mythology-building for, for a classic episode, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and then we get we get that great uh, that great scene of of the doctor getting uh, his worst nightmare realized, which is uh, a companion being elderly. Oh yeah, okay. The aging the the weird aging thing was really funny. Yeah, they're like aging Joe to death, and he's like watching her get old, and he's like, no, no, anything but that, no, <laughs> not the hot blonde. <laughs> Oh my god. Leonardo DiCaprio over here. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Oh. 26, 27, 28. <laughs> oh god, they're so old. <laughs> they're almost 30. <laughs> oh no. Ah, oh, poor Joe. They're practically inhuman. Oh god. Uh. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, Joe is not given a lot to do in this episode. No. 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 Unfortunate. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is this is the problem with um with these uh kinds of thing like the, these uh like this this period and is that like sometimes you just get writers who like 
could not give less of a crap about the female companion. And they're just like, I mean, no one cares about this. They care about they care about the doctor and the master. So pew pew pew. They, yeah, they don't they don't write anything good for the companion because they just think it's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man. Yeah, I mean, Yikes. like we go back even a, we go back even a couple weeks and we have like Susan or not Susan, we have Barbara being mistaken for a god and dealing with the weight of the the, the salvation or death of a civilization on her shoulders. Mm-hmm. Right. This so good. <laughs> so good. Um. So uh, yeah, and then Bill goes then, to the hospital. Yeah, that does happen. Um. Uh, the, uh, what else happens in this? Um, oh, the master, uh, the master has an idea to like defeat the axons, but needs, uh, needs the brigadier to agree to his unconditional freedom in order to help them, mm-hmm. uh, which is a fun scene of just like <laughs> unconditional freedom. And the <laughs> brigadier just like, no, absolutely not. And then someone just goes, come on, man. Like just. <laughs> Let him. What does it even go? mean? Yeah, just let him go. I mean, I just met this guy, but he seems all right. Just let him go. It's fine. Brigadier's just like, ah, fine. Unconditional freedom. Whatever. Yes. God. Yes. This is stupid. <laughs> uh, um, and then there's like the cliffhanger on this one is is like um, like they're gonna kill. Oh yeah, the 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 master is going to use like TARDIS power to blow up the Axon ship. TARDIS but power. But the doctor and yeah, the doctor <laughs> and the doctor and Joe are inside it. So he's just like he's like, well, we can defeat them, but uh, unfortunately, uh, the doctor and Joe will have to die as well. No, n- n- just just nothing else for it. Yeah, <laughs> I hate it as much as you guys. Yeah, I definitely, absolutely hate it as much as you guys, without a doubt. Um, I'm definitely not excited about this, but we need to kill all of them. Yeah, I love the doctor and Joe. That's the granddaughter, right? <laughs> the granddaughter. <laughs> Joe. <laughs> I call her the beard. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um yeah, not not. It's just it's just it, you know it's it's so funny because there's a lot of like like little moments that are fun, but like the overall story is just like okay, so the guy the the, the aliens who said they were good turned out to be bad. We knew that because they crushed the the vagrant's face in, um, and uh, it's all a trick. And they're working with the master, but then also they're like, oh, we don't actually need you anymore. And the master's like, cool, I want my TARDIS back, but they don't want to give him a TARDIS back. So then he's like, cool, I'll work with Unit so that I can get my TARDIS back and also kill the Doctor and you guys and get my unconditional freedom. Really, everything's coming up master in this. That's what I've learned. Because <laughs> the reason that he's willing to like blow up the ship, right, is because he's like his TARDIS is on their ship, but now he has the Doctor's TARDIS, so he doesn't care. Right. Right? I think yeah. so. So That checks yeah. out. Anyway. It's a real, um, like, uh, they, have a, they had a real, like, Jack Sparrow Barbosa thing going on in this one. Yeah, totally. Oh, my God, yeah. Uh, <laughs> really do. How they anyway. were always like switch, switching ships and stealing ships. Everything's coming up, Master Doctor. <laughs> yeah, it's been the name of the episode. The Claws of Axos, Part Four, 
Written by Bob Baker and Dave Martin, a.k.a. the Bristol Boys, a.k.a. Bobby B. and his DMs, a.k.a. 959 Mafia, a.k.a. Brizzle Fam. Directed by Michael Ferguson. Produced by Barry Letts. Air date, April 3rd, 1971. Joe and the Doctor flee from the Axonite as the Master's power surge causes an electrical storm inside the ship. The Axonite reverse the polarity of the power surge and send it back to the light accelerator, trying to destroy it and the entire lab. Before the Master can escape, the Doctor returns. He tells the Master about the block the Time Lords have placed on his knowledge of dematerialization theory and needs the Master's help so they can escape together to Axos and get over on all these guys. The Axonites and Unit battle it out as the aliens begin their nutritional draining of the planet. The Doctor tells his human friends that he's leaving them, as he and the Master take the TARDIS to the Axonite ship, trapping them both in a time loop that disrupts the nutritional draining cycle. One by one, the Axonite warriors disappear from the planet's surface, now trapped by the time loop. The TARDIS rematerializes into the lab, and the Doctor half tries to explain to everyone the logistics of what just happened. The Brigadier asks the Doctor if he really intended to leave Earth and abandon all of his new friends. The Doctor tells Brigadier of course that's what he intended to do, but it would seem the Time Lord Council have rigged his TARDIS to return to Earth no matter what he does, like he's some kind of galactic yo-yo. Or a disgraced convict living in exile, trapped in a mental and temporal prison designed by his own people. So in episode four, I wrote a note. I wrote, I, you know, just appear uh, behind the curtain. I watched this a few days ago, so I don't remember what this is in reference to. Oh, Nick, maybe you can help me okay. out. Um, I probably can because I watched this twice. Oh, nice. I'm sorry. So I have an episode four. I have my first note <laughs> for episode four is after Chernobyl, I know this guy doesn't have a chance. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I I think this has to oh because that guy got hit with the with, with the light accelerator. Oh right, the guy he went in he went into they're like hey we need somebody to go uh, uh, take a look at this thing, and he's like here wear this flimsy tiny suit and this this face this <laughs> this air mask you'll be fine from the radiation. And I'm like oh no he won't <laughs> he will not. <laughs> Is that the same guy who like gets struck by the force lightning and then backflips off of the railing and dies? <laughs> I think so. Uh, so thankfully, the the radiation poisoning didn't get him. The heights did. Yeah, the fall. <laughs> the fall. That's good. Way better. That's good. Yeah, way better. If you've seen Chernobyl, way better. <laughs> way better on the way out. Yeah, for sure. Um. So yeah, this is uh, everybody joins forces with the master. Uh, I have I have the note grenade truck. Oh that was yes. Worth. Because um, I think it's Yates. Um, he's <laughs> driving a jeep, and then one of the axons like crawls onto the hood of the jeep and is trying to like make them crash. So he just like pops a grenade and is like, "Everybody out!" And they jump out of the. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> and then it explodes. He just turned the truck into a giant <laughs> grenade. Oh man! Hashtag uh, unit. Th- <laughs> There's also that great scene where the doctor explains what a time loop is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but can't like he's just like you know a time loop it's a loop a time you get stuck in it I don't know stop asking questions <laughs> shut up uh, I love yeah. I love 
the doctor and the master just like unapologetically flirting. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty good stuff. It's pretty yeah. good stuff. Uh, you really, you really wish there was just more of them playing off of each other this whole episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the reason why I just I really want a season where the master is the doctor's companion. Yep. And at some point, I you know I don't I don't know where or how or when or which doctors or what, <laughs> but like I want it at some point. We got a little taste of it with uh, with twelve and Missy, mm-hmm. um, but not enough for my liking. Uh, yeah, she, like a. What were we gonna say? Sorry, I was just gonna say she turned on him too fast. Like it happened too quickly. Yeah, like like I'm like a maxi series where it's like we're just gonna tell this like self contained story of like the doctor and the master being like stranded or like having to go on this like adventure together. Yeah, and like they need each other to stay alive. Yeah, you could do the um like the the key to time series. You could do something like that, but where like the time lords like put the doctor and the master together for some reason. <laughs> And they have to like go collect stuff. They, they get banished together because it's the worst possible punishment for either of them. <laughs> yeah. And then little do they know that they would finally fall in love. <laughs> it's like something's yeah. got to give. Yeah. I will say that's that's the probably the most respectable part about uh, the the Missy stuff with Moffat was just like Moffat like just so for so long was just like I don't want to do the master like he's silly like I don't I don't want to do it he's like he got the idea to make the master a woman and he's like well now we can do a lot of sexual tension and really talk about the thing that I really wanted to talk about <laughs> which is that the doctor and the master are totally gay for each other right? yeah they totally make out you guys. Yeah, so respect to Stephen Moffat for really he he went there. I mean, you know, he he couldn't make them like actually gay. Uh, he had to make one of them a woman, right. but like the, he could have tried. Hist- but he was he was like the history was there. Like he was definitely suggesting that uh, this wasn't the first time that they had crushes on each other. <laughs> Uh, and uh, if this episode proves nothing else, it proves that that is, in fact, the case. Yeah. Like, this is where it started. The doctor. I love the doctor. Because, like, the doctor is – he, like, tricks the master into working with him or whatever. And he, like, betrays unit. And he's just like, well, we either escape together or we die together. I'm like, that's what I call romance. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's yeah, good. That's gay. <laughs> Kind of a weird triangle being laid between these two and the brigadier. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah, that's true. It's like now he doesn't um, want to leave. This <laughs> <laughs> his own personal brand of heroin. <laughs> uh and then uh, the doctor calls himself a galactic yo-yo. I was about to say that it ends. It ends with a. It ends pretty great. Yeah. It's the weirdest line to end on. Like a galactic yo-yo. <laughs> it was yeah. jarring. Apparently the Time Lords have like rigged his TARDIS so that he will always return to Earth. So can we talk about the shenanigans the Time Lords pull in this one? They go in and deleted the Doctor's memories. Yeah. And now they're forcing his TARDIS to always go back to Earth like a galactic yo-yo. Yeah. Because he's banished. That's true. Yeah, we haven't yeah. seen that one yet. We won't for a long time. No, we won't, but it's so good. But it is so good. Uh, just know that it did happen, and this is his punishment. Yeah. I like yeah. the idea of him getting banned again. 
but like with yeah. the Dardis, with the, the master. So now, like he can go on adventures. It's just that every return he can only it's only like uh it's only a a, a round trip. He can only do round it's like trips. Drag- it's like Dragon Tales. <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I don't understand that reference, but apparently it's it was good because that's so random. Oh. Well, they can't stay in Dragonland. Right. They have to go back to the playroom. To- <laughs> I haven't thought about that show in years. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I think about it a lot. Oh, man. Scott's too old. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, apparently, uh, the uh, the um, the legend of this episode amongst like people who work on Doctor Who, uh, when you do a page one rewrite of a story – of a Doctor Who story, it's called a Claws of Axos rewrite. <laughs> <laughs> so it's well known that this episode sucks. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, good. I mean, yeah, yeah it, well, it, good. It, <laughs> it it very quickly devolved. It it doesn't even. I don't know. As a writer, it it's almost kind of useful to watch to be like, okay, this this is this is the difference between a story and a series of events. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um. Because, yeah, that's definitely what this feels like. Uh, yeah. Anyway. I do have so. some vague fondness for this because it's the first classic Doctor Who story I ever saw. Um, oh. Yeah. Which is a weird one to start on, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it'll have a place in my heart for that reason alone. Uh, but, ugh, not good. Def- yeah. Definitely. And, and, and there's enough events in this series of events that are like fun and entertaining mm-hmm. that I don't think I was ever like oh my god but it was just like very disjointed yeah yeah can't wait to watch another Baker and Martin well we don't have another one of theirs this season do we I don't think so okay good <laughs> the <Yeah>. Bristol boys <laughs> the Bristol boys pew pew uh. <laughs> That's how they would leave every meeting. <laughs> ah, another episode done by the Bristol boy. <laughs> just put on sunglasses and leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah! <laughs> anyway. Well, there it goes. There's two morons, huh? <laughs> so that's the Not cause again. of access. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> um, the, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's it. It's, it is, <laughs> it is not. It is not well made, uh, and it is. There's a lot of really fun moments throughout it, I think, um, but and a lot of like interesting ideas, but none of them are really drilled down uh, to anything beyond a surface level. And uh, it's the the good parts are not worth uh, the sum of the whole, mm-hmm. I think, because um, the sum of the whole is confusing. It's very uh, meh. <laughs> it's very mediocre. Yeah. Very mediocre. Uh, very mediocre. And I think that it would be outright bad if it wasn't for like those little bright spots here and there. Um, so mm-hmm. anyway, just imagine if the master wasn't in this story. Ugh. Yeah. They didn't want the master to be in it. They fought it. That's true. Wow. <gasps> are, God, are can they, you imagine? Are they the Gatiss of classic who? I think they are. They might be, yeah. Because Wow. Okay. Yeah. That tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Although I think Gatus loves the master because the master is very uh, 
<laughs> I guess Gatiss makes his writing deadlines, so. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, anyway. Uh, all right. Well, we have a Facebook group. You know where to find it. Uh, the Doctor's Companion listener group over there. Uh, so join up there if you want to talk about some Doctor Who stuff. Uh, you can support us on Patreon at DuelingGenre.com slash support. We have a tea Public store, DuelingGenre.com slash merch. You can get t-shirts and stuff. And if you're shopping on Amazon, please use our affiliate link, DuelingGenre.com slash Amazon. Go there, buy anything on Amazon as you normally would, and we'll get a little, a little cut of uh, Amazon's profits from everything that you buy. Uh, all of those things help us uh, keep the lights on, help support the show, and uh, make sure that we don't have a hiatus as long as the last one. Um, anyway, next time we'll be back with the fourth Doctor and Planet of Evil. Bye, everybody. Bye. 